Good morning, everyone. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning, as always. Thanks for joining with us. And as George mentioned, we're going to continue in our Sermon on a Mount series. Uh, we started that just two weeks ago. Uh, my name is Dan Spino, by the way. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's good to be worshiping with you this morning. Oh, might need a new music stand later. Um, forgive me for putting my Bible on the ground. I think that's going to be some of the weight issue. We'll solve it there. All right. <clears throat> We're gonna continue in our sermon series. Sorry about that. My name is Dan Spino. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Uh, what's awesome is that that happened on live stream. That's gonna be so great. I'm glad to provide some entertainment for all of you worshiping at home. Thank you for your grace. Um, this past week, as you probably, if you were with us last Sunday, we, um, we did our baptism service. Uh, we had three services. We did different baptisms. Hopefully you were with us. If you weren't, let me invite you to check it out online. We recorded all of them. They're posted online. They're available for you to take a look at. I encourage you to do that so you can hear the testimonies. The story of how people encountered Jesus, how he saved them, uh, how he drew them into a saving relationship, and, and how their lives have been transformed since. Uh, and it's their... It's an awesome Sunday. It's one of our favorite Sundays. Um, so I'd encourage you, if you haven't checked that out, to, to look into that. Um, and again, those are available online. Let me, um, let me open us in a word of prayer here and try to recalibrate myself and uh, restart here. <clears throat> Jesus, I, uh, I thank you that you, you, you are graceful with us. I thank you for that. Uh, and I'm gonna ask now, Lord, that your grace would continue to abound more and more because we need you now. We need you to, to just to help us to remove any impediments that might be present right now, anything that's before us that might be hindering us from being able to hear your word as it truly is, whether they be physical, environmental, Lord, may you, may you just quell them. They're spiritual, may you conquer them. But may you ready our hearts for all that you have for us today. Lord, use this as an offering an offering for which we can come to know you more. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, as I mentioned, we're gonna be we're returning to our Sermon on the Mount series. Um, it's in Matthew 5, um, 7. Uh, we're not gonna be going through all, all those chapters today, don't worry. Uh, we're in the Beatitudes section. Uh, and with the Beatitudes section, each verse kind of starts with this idea of blessed or, or blessed. Uh, you'll, you'll see that with each phrase. Today we're gonna look at Matthew 5, 4 in particular. And Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To reset the groundwork a little bit here, um, we first need to look at what does the word blessed mean? And I know we covered some of this two weeks ago. I want to do it by recap, but also I want to highlight it's important that we understand the, the context and, the, and these words as we move into this verse today. So the first is, what does this word blessed mean? The closest word that we have in English uh, would be the word happy or, or happiness. However, because of the context that we live in, this, this word comes to us, as you know, uh, with some baggage, right? The way we think about happy or the way we think about happiness, um, there, there's a little bit, of, little bit of baggage to it. Uh, we're not called to live chasing world hap worldly happiness. That's a good thing, by the way. Wall Street Journal on Friday had an article in their online version anyways that said that happiness is on a decline. It's been on a decline in the world from 2008 to 2019. So good thing for us. We're not chasing that kind of happiness. No, we're talking about kingdom values here. That's what Jesus has for us in this sermon, the idea of kingdom values. So blessed is not just a description. Rather, it really, it's a state of being. 
Happy scratches the surface, but really it's the best word that we got to help us understand what does this word blessed mean? Happiness is this all-encompassing pursuit and feeling of godly joy that's completely wrapped up in who Jesus is. Most importantly, it's a work of the Holy Spirit on the follower of Christ. This isn't something that we can muscle. These aren't like things that we just do. This, This isn't a moralistic list of things for you to check off. This is an interaction, an encounter with the Holy Spirit at work inside of you, drawing you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. That's what it means by the word blessed or blessed. The context here that Jesus is speaking is in reference to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You can use them interchangeably. Matthew uses heaven. The other gospel writers use his kingdom of God. And Jesus here is speaking to the followers of Christ. Uh, we see this, you see, he calls in his, his disciples, he says, to, to kind of to pull them into this. Now, others are listening, for sure. These disciples are the, key, the inheritors of the kingdom. There's, there's a crowd gathered around, as, as you heard us talk about that two weeks ago. And at the end of the sermon, you're going to see the crowd disperse, and they're just amazed at his teaching. But his primary audience is his disciples. We find Jesus here speaking to them. And he's speaking about life in God's kingdom. And we need a proper perspective on what does it mean, the kingdom of heaven? What is this perspective? You see, the kingdom of heaven is both present and yet to come. Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of heaven, and yet he promises a more fuller, more beautiful, more complete kingdom that is yet to come. So we're standing in a started but not yet complete kingdom. What Jesus has in mind here is not a kingdom that you can just go and visit. Rather, it's a spiritual reality. It's the place of new life brought on through rebirth in Christ. It's the kingdom in which all those who profess his name as Lord and Savior, all those who call on him can live and dwell continually. We see this in the verses that just come before this. Jesus says in 4.17, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In 4.23, we see Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, it says. And then here in the Beatitudes, in our text that we are looking at over these next few weeks, in in 5.3, and then later in 5.10, it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It kind of forms this like inclusio. So it's like everything inside of here has to do with the kingdom of heaven. And it's important that we take a moment here and let all this sink in. The context is incredibly important because as we come to the text Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We need to understand to whom and what is Jesus talking about. You see, I had my sermon reassigned for me twice. You heard Trent say two weeks ago that he he redid the sermon schedule, the preaching schedule for the next few weeks. Um, So we're slowing down. We're going through the Beatitudes one by one, which is awesome. These are great. It's it's so life-giving. I'm glad that we're getting to do this, to spend time digging in deep. The second time, though, uh, was reassigned by God. You see, I was ready to come to you today to share with you the importance of of mourning. I do believe that it's something that's lacking in our culture. I do. I think it's it's a deficit that we feel in our culture. I don't know that we properly mourn you see Job or Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, the lamenter who penned lamentations. These are my people. I get them. Jesus wept the tomb of Lazarus, the grave of Lazarus. The, the Psalms give us all this beautiful, poetic, artistic language that talk about mourning, the sense of loss. 
But as I pressed into this hex, I realized my understanding was, was not accurate. Yes, it's important to mourn. It's important to process through your loss. Let me just say, please do that. God will meet you there. Your faith will grow in those moments and you will be better for it. But that's not this test. That's not this kind of mourning. When we consider that Jesus is referring to how to live in his kingdom, when we realize that Jesus is speaking to his disciples, we then have to ask, why would Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn? In light of the kingdom, kingdom living in the presence of our heavenly father, perhaps the other beatitudes maybe make a little more sense. Perhaps, I'm not saying they're easier to embody, but you know, blessed are those who meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Like that all kind of makes sense when you think about living in God's kingdom. You probably could have maybe listed some of those out yourself, but mourning? Why does life in God's kingdom include a statement on mourning? What kind of mourning did Jesus have in mind? Maybe better, why in the presence of a holy God do we need to mourn? See, the kingdom of heaven is like an ocean and all its beauty, all its power, and it is faithful. It is always there. Stephanie and I got to go to the beach two weekends ago. Uh, I grabbed some, some photos for here. I'm not a professional photographer, so, so don't judge me in the quality. And if you know us well, you'll be surprised to hear this next sentence and saying that was us watching a sunrise. We are not morning people. But we got down there and we got to see this just awesome beauty and display. And, and it was in Cape May. If you've ever been to Cape May, generally there are thousands upon thousands of people. There was nobody at the beach. It was awesome maybe eight people at any one time, like spread out across the whole storefront. So we're just standing there and the vastness, the beauty and the power of this ocean, the faithfulness of it just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. And as you're standing there, you just feel utterly powerless. You just realize how small you are. It's almost as if the ocean like demands something from you. So it is, is considering life in God's kingdom. We move from the saved by grace alone, through faith alone, this utterly poor in spiritness, 5-3, realizing that we bring nothing and we move into the presence of God's kingdom. And in that reality, with his power, with his beauty, with his faithfulness, we examine ourselves and we realize we have to mourn. In the presence of of a holy God, we have to mourn. We mourn our sins. And that's the focus of our time together today. Our main idea is quite simply, before a holy God, we mourn and are comforted. If you're taking notes, you could also write down, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So first then, we need to talk about mourning for our sin. What does mourning actually mean? What, what does mourning mean? The 
help us understand this, this verse, Matthew 5, 4, kind of created a little model for us. We're going to walk through it briefly here. My hope is to kind of draw out this idea of mourning. So, so bear with me. We're going to kind of take a step back and, move, and take a step forward here. So, so this idea, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The, the first thing I want to offer you, there's, there's three psalms we're going to look at, three psalms. The first one is Psalm 1. It gives us this illustration of the blessed man. Now, uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament's written in Greek. So two completely different languages. The words that are used both translate the same way. Both mean blessed and both kind of have this connotation of like happiness that we just talked about. So we're looking at Psalm 1 and we have this illustration of the blessed man. And what do we notice? We notice that he does not delight in sin. Take a look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This is the portrait of the man who inherits the kingdom, the blessed man. And notice again, he hates sin. As we work our way through the verse, we say, blessed are those who mourn. All right, so now we need to kind of understand, well, what does a mourning man look like? What does, what does that look like? A great picture of that. Is, is, is seen in, in, I'm sorry, in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, it's a picture of David mourning after this grievous sin in his life as he's confronted by a friend and he's just left utterly helpless before a holy God he, and he just pens for us, he pens for us this model of mourning. Verses one through four, we read, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This captures David mourning. Do, do you hear him? Do you hear the language? I mean, the psalm goes on, but this is just some powerful language for us to ponder. This, this is the mourning man that ultimately then moves to comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So now we need to understand what does the comforting, comforted man look like? I'm gonna draw upon Psalm 103 here. This is a picture of a man encountering the comfort that, of God. Here David recognizes his sin and the forgiveness that God offers for his transgressions. Verse 12, we read, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, or, or east-west, right? As far as the east is from the west, it is an unfathomable distance. So far has God moved our transgressions from us. And more so, David then turns and he starts pronouncing this blessing on God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, all that's within me. Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord, you angels. Bless the Lord. He, over and over, he talks about this idea of blessing. So you see, when the Psalm 1 man, the blessed man, the inheritor of the kingdom, when he sins, he moves and becomes the mourning man, repentant man that we see him in Psalm 51. There's mourning, there's repentance, and then he receives the comfort of God and actually turns and blesses God as we see in Psalm 103. What I want you to see then is that mourning is an emotional response of a follower of Christ, the blessed man, 
to a sin committed before God that moves you to repentance before God and into his comfort. Mourning is a Christian's emotional response to a sin you commit that leads you to repentance and then to an encounter of the comfort God has for you through his forgiveness at the cross. Shorthand, as a disciple of Christ, it's sin, mourning, repentance, comfort. Mourning comes before sin. It has to. Mourning or repentance without mourning is simply just checking a box. It's like placating God. Like, yeah, I know what I did was wrong. Right, good, I'm good, great. It's not really trying to restore that broken relationship with your heavenly father. Mourning after this mourning repentance idea. It's like mourning repentance and then maybe mourning some more. That's, that's not accepting the comfort that God has for you. The forgiveness of sin God gives you. It's denying the grace that God offers you. And let me just say, if David can speak of this back in Psalm 103, way before the cross, disciple, how much more should we be able to speak of the comfort that God offers us after the cross? David mourned, he did. He, after he sinned, he mourned, he repented, and then there was still some mourning. He mourned the effects of his sin, for sure. His son died, his family fell apart, the kingdom falls apart. <clears throat> These are all just the consequences of his sin. He mourns that. That's a different kind of mourning, though. But before we go any further, let me just make one thing clear. It is right and good to feel emotions. God created them. It's healthy to feel and to express them. And also, please note that joy, joy is just one emotion. There's other crayons in the crayon box that you can color with from time to time. Let me just encourage you to do that. We need to create a safe place within our church family. Here, in our church family, we're a family. We need to create a safe place in our church family in particular to express our emotions in a healthy way. If we can't create this safe community among our people to feel, how then are we going to encourage our brothers and sisters to mourn their sin? If I don't have permission to feel a sense of loss for something, from a failed math test all the way to the loss of a loved one, in a way in which I feel heard and loved and acknowledged, how then are you encouraging me to, to mourn and to feel the consequences of my sin? Yes, misaligned emotion can lead to more sin. Absolutely, I get that. I hear that argument. Misaligned emotions can lead to sin. So can misaligned stoicism and stuffing your emotions. They both can lead to sin. And, and bad news, if that's the case, you're now in a worse place to be able to properly mourn your sin. Mourning leads to repentance. Those who mourn are blessed. And it all starts at the proper place of hating sin. Before the presence of a holy God, you should despise your sin. Blessed is the man who does not, right? Psalm 1. And that leads to mourning. When we think about life in the kingdom and examine our lives, we have to ask, how are we living in light of the kingdom? When we stand at the foot of the ocean we realize just how small we are. Similarly, in light of God's kingdom, realize, we realize something about ourselves. We all have something to mourn, all of us. There's no exception because sin is rampant, sin is pervasive, 
and God is holy. But now we're getting to the root of the problem. The problem of why we don't mourn. What do we do with sin? In our day-to-day, what do we actually do with sin? Do we abhor what is evil, as we read in Romans 12, 9? Strong language, abhor what is evil. Do we? And I'm not talking about the sins of others. We're gonna get there, that's point two. Stay with me on point one. What do we do with our sin? In my observation, I think we deal way too lightly with sin. I think we tolerate sin in ourselves. I think we ignore our sin. We excuse our sin. We kind of massage our sin into into our lives a little bit. We justify our sin. We avoid our sin, tickling ourselves with more comforts. We're numb to our sin, and instead we just live with it. We're uncomfortable talking about our sin. I mean, how can I be comfortable talking about my sin when I can't tell you about the loss that I feel? Worst of all, we don't even see our sin. Can't spot it. I think truth be told, we don't hate our sin. And if that is true, how can we then mourn our sin? I think instead we start to look more and more like the culture around us rather than living as God's called out ones in the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. There's probably times when we know what we're doing is sinning. I'm sure of it. But I think we're just, we're moving way too fast. We develop systems and structures in our lives that actually just undergird and, and, and support our sin. We don't know how to properly live in light of God's kingdom. And I'm not referring to this like concept of like America, the great land, a city on the hill. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a very Western, esoteric way of thinking about God's kingdom. Geographically, we are not in God's spiritual kingdom. We're called to live as exiles in a foreign land, First Peter tells us. But spiritually, the renewal that the Holy Spirit offers us we come to be a follower of Christ, we're standing in God's kingdom right now. But because we focus on proximity, on like what's right in front of us, that's like where our eyes go to, that's what our mind races to, we neglect our relationship with our heavenly father. Let me try to bring this home just a little bit here. What, what has happened to all of us this past year, these, these past 12 months? What, is, what has actually happened We've all had a thorough heart examination. All of us. Nobody's excluded. We were all challenged, and we're still challenged with answering who or perhaps what do you love the most? You see, the issues that we're facing, they're going to fade away. History tells us so. This is what happens. This is the cycle of life. Issues come up. Now, they don't necessarily get resolved. History tells us that too, right? But they move from the front burner, they kind of go to the back burner, and then something else comes up on the front burner that then draws our attention to it. But you, but me, we're still left with our heart. Was your heart chasing after sin or seeking the kingdom of God? The real kingdom of God. 
where Jesus has authority. In fact, all authority bestowed upon him. Do you hate sin? Do you, do you mourn your sin? Have you repented? This is a really hard text. It's a very simple, short verse that is absolutely profound. It's hard. I don't know that I always mourn my sin. I know that I've mourned some. I don't know that I'm fully aware of all my sins, and that's where we need to invite the Holy Spirit in. We need to invite in to God in to examine our hearts. God's still working on me. <laughs> he hasn't revealed them all, the weight of which I could not bear. I recently had a conversation with a godly man. He's, he's a man in my life. He's somebody in the next generation up that I look up to, that I love, I respect immensely. And as, he was, as we were talking, he, he talked about, this is something he said, kind of paraphrase. He talked about how the weight of his sinfulness before the glories of our heavenly father can weigh him down in his bed in the morning. How many of us think like that? Do we make time in our lives for thoughts like that? And I'm not calling you, this is not a call to like, just like, you know, be frozen. You know, like the weight of your sin just paralyzes you, just freezes you. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. Yes, you need to take a step. You need, to, you need to live, absolutely. I think we're too quick to take that step, frankly. What this is, is that this is a call to a proper perspective, it's a perspective that I think we may have lost in our church, our church, West Shore Free Church, our church, our church family, the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. The proper response is to mourn over our sin. It's time for our church family to hate sin more than we love ourselves. It's time for us to mourn for our own sin. Maybe consider using Psalm 51. That's a great model. David gives us this beautiful model of mourning, repentance, reconnection with God. Use that as a model as you, as you invite God in to examine your hearts. I don't know what will work for you. I just know ultimately that we, you, me, we need to mourn our sin. The second point we have is mourning for the sin of others. In Luke 19, we see Jesus approaching Jerusalem in his last week of ministry before the crucifixion. And in verse, in verse 41, Luke tells us that when Jesus drew near, the text says, when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. It's only the second time in scripture we have a recording of Jesus weeping during his ministry. Why was Jesus weeping? You see, he was standing on the precipice of the city, Jerusalem. If you don't know anything about Jerusalem, it's the city of God's chosen people, chosen city. It's where the temple is. And he looks out as he's about to approach the city and just looks out over it, and he's just moved to weeping over the sinfulness that is rampant in the city. Here is their Messiah, who the prophets had talked about from ages ago, and they missed it. They missed him. They were so blinded by their sin. There's just so much rampant sin, and Jesus weeps. He mourns over that. The city's ultimately gonna, it's gonna be ruined because of it. It's such a sobering moment that, that often gets overlooked. 
I needed help. I had to have two people, <laughs> my wife and, and, and through a commentary, kind of pointed out to me, like, wow. It's a short little passage. How often do we approach the sinfulness that is pervasive around us with that same broken heartedness that Jesus displays? Can we actually see the pain and suffering anymore, the sin, then the results of sin that's all around us? Have we grown numb? We're bombarded with news headlines, with social media feeds. There's TV shows and movies that just kind of like elevate and like idolize sin. And because of that, I think we've just become numb to it. We just accepted. We just accepted it. It's just a part of our a part of our lives. Sin has become an integral thread that is simply weaved into the fabric of our community. It's this constant deluge that just numbs us. It's a powerful thing to see the effects of sin and to be moved to mourning. I think the lack of mourning really reveals something about my heart, maybe it reveals something about your heart too. I think one way in which this is negatively portrayed, like, you know, a bad example of this is when we see sin in other people's lives and we're just quick to gossip about them. Do you see so-and-so? <laughs> right? Why do we do that? I think we do that because that person is not measuring up to some level of, like, self-righteousness that I have. It's more of a judgment than it is actually mourning. And this joy of false mourning for others really reveals our hearts. We find comfort in calling out someone else's sin. That's really time for a heart check. We're not supposed to be comforted. We're supposed to mourn. Jesus wept. As a resident of the kingdom of God, we should mourn for the sin that's, that's around us in inappropriate ways. As God works in your heart, we're moved to mourn over the fallenness and brokenness all around us. Mourning for others is not a power relationship where I am the hero. It's not a realization that I have all the answers and you don't. We don't look upon the downtrodden and step in to try to make ourselves feel better. We don't just callously tell someone you're sinning. And, and worse of all, we don't treat them as a project, something to do, something to, like, to accomplish so that I can be proud of myself and tell everyone about it. That's not mourning. Rather, mourning is a heartfelt sense of loss for a situation that's broken, fallen, not how it's supposed to be. It's crying out for the oppressed and brokenhearted. It's mourning over broken systems that don't allow people made in the image of God to flourish. It's mourning over racial injustices that we see and people are suffering. It's mourning when abortion laws are loosened and when gender equality laws are expanded, it's mourning for the foster care situation that's widespread. It's mourning that there are people at the border right now that are seeking refuge and safety and realizing that people don't just abandon all that they know, their families and all that they have and just go to some foreign land on a whim. That's not what they're doing. It's mourning their brokenness. It's mourning that a tribe of schoolgirls were kidnapped it's morning that appears that sin keeps winning. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Creation is marred. It groans, Paul tells us in Romans 8. It's called a mourn is not because we're a Christian nation, but because of the impact of sinfulness on people made in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them, it says. 
all of them, not some of them, all of them, they have dignity and worth, and it's broken, and we mourn. That wasn't the original design. We mourn, as Martin Lloyd-Jones points out, Martin Lloyd-Jones, because we have some understanding of what sin means to God and God's utter abhorrence and hatred of it. This terrible thing that, that would stab, as it were, into the heart of God if it could, this rebelliousness and arrogance of man, the result of listening to Satan. We mourn sin. It's not a call to judge your neighbor. It's a call to mourn for the decisions that your neighbor's making that's not in line with the gospel. It's Jesus crying over the city of Jerusalem again. We're invited to join with him. In light of the kingdom of God and who God is, we mourn our sins first. If we don't, we become self-righteous and indignant. And in light of the kingdom of God and who God is, we mourn for the way sin works in the lives of people around us. If we don't, we become numb to the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God. But when we mourn, we are comforted. Our third point is the comfort that we receive. The act of mourning for our sin is an act of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. You see, we're not naturally inclined to just to mourn for sin. That is not something that's like by nature that we can just do. This isn't like a, hey, go do this kind of thing. This is an interaction with the Holy Spirit at work inside of you drawing you deeper into a relationship with Jesus. And when he does that, you're moved to mourning. And as such then, the comfort that we receive when we mourn is the forgiveness offered to us by Jesus at the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a great verse to memorize. He made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's just one verse of countless others. Our sins as a follower of Christ, as God's called out once, as a disciple, our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Though the disciples at the time of Jesus' teaching did not get this comfort yet, Jesus knew that they would. He was taking them on a journey. This morning drives us back to Christ, here and now. And in that place, we're comforted by the forgiveness of sins that he offers. This morning reconciles us to God, our Heavenly Father, as we repent from our sin, we restore a relationship with him, and we are comforted. This morning puts sin in its proper place. It reminds us that sin does not define who we are. We, are, we find comfort in that we are made in the new, as a new creation. We are new because of the work of Christ in us. This morning reminds us that sin does not have the final say. And that is great comfort. The kingdom is both here and now and not yet. There will be a future day. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. It still is at hand. 
And he promises one day he will return to establish his kingdom in both a geographic and spiritual sense. And we are going to dwell with him. Sin does not have the last say. Jesus does. And in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4, we receive the final words of comfort that we get to look forward to. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the comfort that Jesus offers us. Let me pray for us. Lord, in in light of who you are, I'm sure that this offering here has fallen short. But this is where I ask you, Holy Spirit, to pick up and to work in. These words that are not of you, allow them to just fall away. But I ask, Lord, this is, this is uncomfortable for us. We don't know how to do this. We can only rely on your strength and your strength alone. Would you be at work in us through the Holy Spirit? We are your disciples. We are your called out ones. We are the inheritors of the kingdom. May you help us to learn how to mourn. And for those of us whom you have not called, I ask for your mercy upon them, that you would call them to you, that you would establish a relationship with them. But help us, Lord. It's like we're back in kindergarten all over again when it comes to this. We need help. May you be at work in us, not in a way that brings us glory, but in a way in which brings you glory and writes our relationship with you. That is what we're all about. So help us in that endeavor. Lead us in this time. We ask this in your name. Amen. It's fitting that today we get to partake in communion together. It seems that communion is is the right response when we think about mourning for our sin. This is a reminder of what Jesus has done from whom he calls his disciples. At the communion table, Jesus says that if you want the gift of being comforted, you have to mourn your sin. And hear me, it's, it's, like a, it's like a deep, like, travailing kind of prayer. A prayer recognizing your brokenness, not generically, but very specifically. So generically, if you, you know, if you just recognize your sin, then you'll be comforted and you, and you won't sin anymore. That, that, and that's not true. We need to think specific. We need to mourn specifically. If you specifically call out your sin, cry out to God in repentance, you will be comforted. That's what the communion table is all about. This is the gospel of salvation for those whom Jesus calls. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. What Jesus says is that when you partake in the kingdom of God and you mourn your sin, you will be comforted through the forgiveness of your sins because of the work Jesus did on your behalf. So here at the communion table, I want to invite you to mourn your sins. Now, my guess is some of you, some of us, maybe we enter this time and we say something like, forgive me, Lord, I am a sinner. 
That's good. Let me encourage you to keep doing that. I also want to encourage you, let me, let me just challenge you a bit. Push deeper. Invite the Holy Spirit in to challenge you, to really examine your heart. I want to feel the earth tremble as it does in Acts. What is one sin? Surely there's at least one. What is one sin you need to mourn and repent? Push past the excuses. We're good at that. We're good at creating systems. Push past those. Examine your heart. In fact, invite God as the psalmist did in 139 to search me, O God. Take a moment right now. Push in and push deeper and mourn your sin.